Hello there. Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you doing? It is Monday, the 22nd of March, 2021. Already four, nearly four months in to the month, uh, to the year. Phenomenal, isn't it? Hope you well. Hope you had a good weekend. Kind of spring was in the air this morning here in Cheltenham in the west of England, but sort of regressed slightly since the early sunshine. A little bit of nip, chilly, still in the air. Um, but uh, good that spring is on its way. Spring equinox at the weekend too. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Coming up to a year of sponsorship with Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, the sister company based in the courtyard in Montpellier in the heart of Cheltenham here around the corner from me. It's been fantastic, actually, really helped not only grow the podcast, but just have that kind of catalyst and that support, a galvanizing effect for me to have someone to, uh, I guess, just something to to yeah, be responsible for, to be accountable for, to, to produce the podcast over the lockdown in particular, which has been done remotely, which I never thought I'd do, but that actually has helped as well, including the one today with Amy Fuller, snowboarder. But thank you to Bagnall, it's been a big year and hugely appreciated. Thank you to Starter Plan as well for their association with the podcast, food-based supplements company uh, based not far from here, actually, geographically in a place called Hanley Swan, picturesque village in the west of England as you approach the Malvern Hills. And they are supplements that digested like food. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's a nutritionist, and a general practitioner, a GP is his day job, but has worked in micronutrition in particular, big advocate of their multivitamins in particular, those that contain trace elements like selenium and zinc, which seem to be relatively deplete in modern UK soils. It may be very according to where you are in the world, where your food is coming from, what the soil is like that that food is grown in, what the animals are grazing on if you're a meat eater. So it's worth bearing in mind all that stuff but we certainly believe in in a formula uh, a supplement at the moment called immune complete i take immune complete too there's an immune complete one for menstruating women which primarily i believe contains iron which is important for people who are for women who are menstruating but it's a, a company that you can get a discount with via the podcast as well if you go to cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk you can get 30 percent off your initial purchase 10% thereafter with the discount code DRAPER10R. My last name, all capital letters, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numerals one, zero, and the capital letter R. Right, on to the podcast today. I do hope your wellness uh, hopefully will uplift you for the week ahead as well. Really infectious, enthusiastic, effervescent personality really came through just through a Zoom call on the podcast with Amy Fuller, twice Olympian, um snowboarder in the slope style snowboarding which i believe was lightly inspired by skateboarding culture and we'll talk about that in terms of its freedom and its style but also just the different um change in tone of going from a an amateur snowboarder where you do it for the joy to then being judged in in competitions like the olympics where people evaluate you it's not just done for the freedom and the joy of being out in the mountain air and uh going down the slopes at high speed pulling off great tricks um, but Amy Fuller, yeah, she's a really a thoughtful character. And we expand on the idea that I think a lot of extreme sports people have an insight to, which is coping with fear. Um, fear is a big factor, which we probably needed in the primal world, but can restrict us in the modern world. In the primal world, we feared community basically falling out of favor with them, people's opinions falling out of um, 
connection with the community, being outcast, that kind of thing. But we sort of still have that, don't we, to a certain extent? And we don't have those primal threats like lions and tigers and wolves, whatever it may be. But sometimes it can be restricted. And I think people in extreme sports tap into that ability to face fears and still live and get the benefit from it. And they seem to have these effervescent characters and uh, hugely enthusiastic for life attitudes. We talk about the importance of getting outside as well, something that she's been aware of due to being a snowboarder and the health benefits and psychological benefits of that. So wonderful to speak to. She's got a podcast out as well called The Monday Mile, which is out today, Monday, March the 22nd. So check that out on iTunes. There's be a show on YouTube as well, which we'll talk more about in due course. But great idea, walking a mile with her guests, which is, again, is active in itself and promoting good health. But here she is, the wonderful Amy Fuller. Amy Fuller, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great. It's brilliant to speak to you. Um, how how has the the pandemic affected the world of of winter sports? Because I guess it's one where you have to be pretty mobile. I suppose the pandemic's made that difficult. Yeah, um, it's definitely not made things easy when it comes to travel, uh, as it has for you know many a sport. But uh, the end of last season was pretty much written off, um, yeah. and then it, it's it's been all about travel permissions uh, and, and essentially finding loopholes to get on the snow. So it's been, uh, yeah, definitely a very interesting time. Uh, in, that, in that period, I actually retired from uh, professional competition. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting seeing how the Snowboarding World Tour is, has kind of managed these logistics with quarantines and Austria to get into Switzerland and <laughs> going via all these loopholes. I mean, it, it really is a madness and something you could never have predict, predicted, but it seems as though um, everyone's kind of taking it in their stride and making the most of the oppor opportunities and just in general, so grateful to be on snow in this kind mm. of time. Yeah, no, I bet, I bet a lot of people are like amateur snowboarders, skiers, that kind of stuff that have been frustrated. I know they get a little bit in Scotland, but maybe it's not, not quite the same as, as being able to get to Europe or the States or, or wherever people go. So was the, was the pandemic, did that precipitate your decision to retire or were you thinking about it anyway? Uh, no, it didn't. At the back of my mind, I knew that's what I wanted, but I think it was about timing um, and essentially playing my cards right, you know, because if you finish the Olympics and you're just like, I'm done, <laughs> like, that's kind of the end of it. And there's more to snowboarding than just competition. Yeah. So I didn't want to, you know, take myself out of the game because of course I still want to snowboard. It's something I started purely for the love of it. And there's so much enjoyment uh, from just being in the mountains. So yeah, really excited to essentially keep exploring the mountains and, and kind of give back hopefully to the next generation and you know inspire the next lot of young mm. guns coming through that it's possible but the the progression rate has elevated <laughs> yeah and uh, it, it it's really an exciting time for women in snowboarding for sure oh that's fantastic it's interesting you say that though that that switch between i suppose the, the spiritual aspects of, of sports that I think of like snowboarding like surfing skateboarding and then when you go into competition it's that sense of it becoming almost uh, trying to be objective and, and you get judged by other people about what's good and what's bad whereas I suppose it's not the motivation to get it into into it in the first place was that something that's in your mind just to get liberated again from 
from that structure, from that, those strictures? Because I watched recently, I don't know if you've seen it, Johnny Guerrero Into the Storm, a surfing documentary, a great one on the BBC, actually. And it's a young lad in Peru who's coming from the, the ghetto, coming out of it and, and just used to surf for joy and to get away from um, the gangs and things. And then he's trying to do it to make it. And he, he feels a weight of pressure on his shoulders. And it's, a, you know, you're anxiously waiting for these judges to decide whether they like what he's done. It's, it's a different mindset, isn't it, going into to competition, I suppose, from when you start. Yeah, it's it's completely, completely different. And I, I suppose I started snowboarding uh, because I love the freedom, the creativity. Essentially, it's a blank canvas for you to create and progress in any which way, as you say, with no rules. Yeah. So to have that almost taken away from you, in a sense, you know, the slopestyle course is a blank canvas, yet you're being judged. So to be able to kind of scale it back and now do it on on my time rather than contest time is something I'm I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and you still love it, do you? Because that's I had a Colin Hendry, who's a former Premier League footballer, on who won the Premier League title with with Blackburn. He still loves playing Saturday football, Sunday football, in his mid fifties. I think that's really refreshing for those of us who've never competed in sport professionally but loved it. And I work as a sports broadcaster that people have that because sometimes you meet athletes who almost get jaded by the sport and have to step away from it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. And I think maybe that's why I've taken this step is because I, you know, I've been to two Olympics. I've had a really good run, but I know there's more to the sport than riding the same piece, the same chairlift, the same two jumps. Um, that, that isn't snowboarding, albeit an amazing foundation that it's given me. And I'm so grateful for what snowboarding's taught me but there's more to it and mm. I want to be able to share the mountains you know with my family with my friends and not always be up there in this amazing space <laughs> this crazy atmosphere that that I could call an office but yet always be under pressure be stressed um having to perform so yeah essentially it's almost like okay cool let's park that and and let's explore that other side, which I haven't had the opportunity to do for the last 11 years. You know, people are like, yeah, snowboarding, apres. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because I, ha I haven't really experienced that. Um, so I think it's almost like, cool, I've had a good run. I've found another passion, but I still want to have a good relationship with snowboarding. So it's a fine juggling act. And yeah. hopefully... Um, you know, I pulled the cord at the right time. Yeah, well, yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's great that you've got that that sort of desire to get back out there, and, and especially with the pandemic has has whetted that appetite as well. So the new passion is is broadcasting, is it? What's your, what's the new the new focus for you career wise? Yeah, definitely. Um, since twenty eighteen, um, I've had some awesome opportunities, and you know, I've, I've gone out there, put myself out there to create those, and you know, of course, it's whatever you put in you get back right um, yeah i suppose a landmark one for me was fronting a documentary in north korea and wow. running a marathon which <laughs> is something i could never have predicted you know i was in pyeongchang south mm. korea for the winter olympics to then um you know a year and a half later be flying on an ex-russian two-star koiro air flight to wow. north korea somewhere I thought was totally out of bounds uh, to film a documentary for the Olympic channel um, really was a, a pinch me moment. 
How did that come about? Because like you say, not many humans outside of North Korea have been into North Korea. Yeah, really interesting, actually. So I was on the London Marathon finish line in 2018 with a sponsor, Tag Heuer. And I said to uh, the boss lady, I'd much rather be running this than just standing here. And she's like, you can have a place if you like next year. So signed myself up to 2019 with my mum, actually. We'd always discussed doing a marathon together, but, you know, never thought we'd even be able to get a place. So we were like, yeah, let's do this. And, you know, as uh, someone coming from a fast, explosive, fast twitch Mm. sport um i've never been able to you know perform (laughs) endurance running in (laughs) in any shape or form um so it's like okay this is the time if ever to do one straight off the back of the olympics so i was training in richmond park for london with a mate in january 2019 and um i i just put on my story on instagram actually like uh, training for London, just got covered in mud, soaking <laughs> wet, completely lost, <laughs> ended up walking back. Um, and actually, a, a former colleague of yours uh, reached out to me. She uh, used to work at Sky. I met her at my first Olympics, Leah Hervey. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She'd, she'd moved to the Olympic Channel and she dropped me a DM and was like, hey, I see you're running London. You don't fancy running another marathon. And literally, <laughs> I was like, uh, no. And she was like, it's for a documentary in North Korea. I was like, tell me more. Two minutes later, we were on the phone. My mum was around at the time with me and Putney, I was living at the time. Yeah. And uh, she was like, do you want to run a marathon in North Korea? I was like, yeah. <laughs> why not and no joke six weeks later i was on the plane having left all of my personal items in beijing in a vault and uh i was embarking on yeah a very very different journey and it's amazing i just loved everything about that immersive experience and being a part of a team essentially we were a crew there working together in a, a very very tight knit environment there were eight of us and i just loved being a part of that um it it was awesome and i definitely want to do more of it it's interesting that you jumped at the opportunity as well straight off the bat particularly as i kind of imagined that maybe you you loved cardio you loved running and that was part of the the background to it but you you jumped at it so readily not having been even a a keen marathon runner is that because your personality is that's way way inclined and that's why you're attracted to snowboarding or is it maybe the snowboarding brought something out of you how do you see that relationship is it something sort of instinctive to you i think um it comes down to fear actually Mm. and um it's just a it's a totally different type of movement and i was excited to put my body into you know a new realm something i hadn't experienced and essentially i kind of just stripped it back and i was like how hard can it be i've got to go to north korea be myself share our story our experience and run a marathon the marathon was just like <laughs> the side hustle of what we were doing there you know and it was a case of just getting through it surviving it being able to tell the story but then also coming back in one piece so more importantly i could embark on our journey which was mine and my mum's running our first ever marathon together 
in London 11 days later. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you did two marathons in 11 days and you weren't an endurance athlete. You didn't like endurance running. Yeah, but you know, like, it's funny, you know, when you speak to runners and they're like, oh, what time did you do? It was like, <laughs> well, it wasn't about the time. It, it was about survival and putting my body through a totally different process that I'd never done before. How did you, how was your body? Did you hold up? Were you okay? Well, my biggest fear was because of snowboarding, um, I've bruised my heels. And again, this is another one where people like bruised heels. So if you imagine jumping off like the first story or story and a half of your house and landing flat on the concrete. So imagine that with a snowboard on. So you land on deck and it's almost like you implode on your feet. Yeah. And I've done this three times and I can remember each time so vividly where I've not been able to take enough paracetamol or ibuprofen to even stand. And Oof. I remember crawling through Geneva airport on my knees <laughs> because it, there's nothing really you, you can do for it other than sit in a wheelchair and, and not stand on your feet. But I had, a, I had a quick turnaround. I got her next day was flying home, wanted to get out of France. And um, that that's really affected, uh, I think, long term, like my plantar fascia. Yeah. In my feet. Uh, your, so your Achilles as well. Is that affected by that? Maybe. Yeah. Achilles yeah. Tendon, so it's yeah. almost like a form of compensation as you sort of get back to walking. Um, so I've mega tight Achilles, angry plantar fascia. And, and even now I am forever having sports massage, enabling myself to run. Mm. I've always sort of liked running, but never been able to really run more than between three and eight miles be because of that. So my main fear was what happens if your feet don't hold out? And yeah. uh, definitely that was the first thing that really, really went because uh, my feet were cold. It started very early in the morning mm. and um yeah, they just sort of like went like ice blocks. And in the end, I almost couldn't really feel them. So it was fine and I just ignored <laughs> it. But it, it definitely wasn't a preference. <laughs> no, no. I could, well, that is, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I run around the block and like you say, I think people get, it's funny with amateur people, particularly I'm 39 now, people sort of still get obsessed with times and the, the equipment you need and all that stuff. But just finishing a little job is good for me. But I know I do feel that and always have that on my joints, actually. It's not necessarily... A natural thing for me endurance sports what is the, the the conditioning involved for snowboarders what do they do if if anything in terms of physical conditioning is it is it mainly weights and things like that for core core strength what's the, uh, what are the keys yeah it's a lot of explosive power a lot of balance plyometrics i mean there's sort of 20 minutes of plyometrics in my old gym routine was incorporated in, into the warm-up hmm. and then we'd go into the the main body of sort of the exercise and it's a lot of single leg uh squats weighted rdls so a lot of a lot of strength building around the glutes the hamstrings uh as well as your sort of traditional squats deadlifts um and then kind of finishing with a bit of power a bit of core yeah um but essentially you know you've got to have a decent cardio base because snowboarding goes on for you know four hours uh albeit very explosive uh over over a minute run but then you've got to recover and do it again and you've got to be able to do it all day so you need that aerobic capacity um mm. purely for the recovery really so 
in the summer, I'd spend quite a bit of time on the bike uh, yeah. to stay off the feet. I'd run a little bit, um, but then other than that, it was really explosive power. So in general, it's you kind of need to be a, a really good all-arounder. Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating to get the insight into it as well, because you sort of see it as more of a sort of, like say, an artistic sport in a sense, but it is grueling. And when you go and do the cardio on the bike in the summer, is that do you go back to the same places, the mountains in, in France and Switzerland? Because I know a lot of people do that. that that's a great bike tour in the in the oh, warmer no. months. I'm, I'm a home bird, so <laughs> I was always just um, super happy to be home. Um, in the height of my career, I spent a, a lot of time in Northern Ireland, actually, because uh, mm. that's where my family lived. They've been there for 13 years. Um, so I, I'd go back home and I'd, I'd ride with the local cycling club and really, really they'd, they'd put me through my paces because you know, I wasn't like a cyclist that went out every single day. But in the summer, I'd join them and uh, we'd do sort of like between 30 to 50 mile rides down, wow. the, down the Ards Peninsula, um, which is just beautiful, but of course, so wind affected. <laughs> Um, which in a way was good because it, it was quite like rough and tough, you know, and, yeah. and keeping up with a lot of men. There were only a few few females in the group. So so that, that was kind of how I would spend my summer. And then we'd, we'd sort of spend August onwards always in Australia or New Zealand to catch the Southern Hemisphere winter. Oh, yeah. So you sort of have almost like a three-month period to rebuild your body, essentially before it starts again yeah that's a that's a relentless schedule i suppose when you look at it that way i suppose it's like the other people like cricketers go the opposite way around don't they and they go over to australia and new zealand at the end of the year when it's their summer and and, and flip it around um what what was the attraction for snowboarding in the first place because you did travel a lot didn't you as a kid i think you were originally from southeast london is that right and then you you moved to the states for a bit in washington yeah yeah um from keston kent uh was born in farnborough and uh, yeah, I just had, um, I just have so many good memories from that period of time of living in Kent. Um, I started motocross when I was six. Oh, cool. um, I, I skied at Bromley Dry Slope from the age of four and then was quite competitive in gymnastics from the ages of 10 to 12. And I think sort of the combo of all of that um, especially motocross and gymnastics, motocross reading lines and transitions, which is what we do in snowboarding. And then the air awareness and acrobility yeah. of gymnastics. Uh, when I essentially discovered snowboarding and I lived in the US for three and a half years, those sports really had given me the perfect platform to explore. But when I think back to it now, it, it was just wild. Moving back to the UK, age 16, having been noticed in America mm. and I just totally winged it. Like <laughs> I went out on this performance camp for Roxy, having been noticed one week after starting at Sullivan Upper School, School of Rory McIlroy. Playing oh, with, cool, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were, they were so good with me. How old is he? He's about four years older than you, is he Rory? Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking. Uh, I actually think he was only like one year older oh, okay. at school. Yeah, one school year older um and i literally got invited on this camp it was a dream come true uh, and they were kind of assessing my performance throughout and it and it went pretty well and i got sponsored by roxy still sponsored by them today i remember the day vividly 10th of <laughs> october 2007 that day changed my life and 
I then went after one week away in October, I went away in December to the first six star contest of the year. And it was my first event. And I just rocked up, didn't think anything of it. You know, everyone else had been training. I'd been <laughs> at school and I just rocked up and, and threw down a run and ended up qualifying for the finals in my first ever Amazing. six star event. So I think at that time I was, you know, essentially fearless and was so hungry uh, to, to chase my dream. Essentially, I just went for it. That, it's interesting that balance, isn't it? Because when I studied sports science at university and, and sport, professional sports got more and more statistic based, more and more science involved in it, physiology, psychology. But it's a lot of just mental stuff. Whereas I suppose like you're saying that that sort of that attitude, that spirit, if you can combine the science with that spirit, that I guess is where the, the golden stuff is, isn't it? Because you don't want to be overthinking it. You want to turn up with that fearless spirit and, and throw yourself into it, particularly for something like snowboarding, where it is artistic and people are evaluating your your confidence and your fluidity yeah it's um it's a crazy sport in that sense it's there is like a lot of freedom with it but it, it is judged so of course it's it's very very subjective but you kind of get the lay of the land and obviously what's what's good what's not good and, and what they're looking for um but at the end of the day at snowballing event it's not really about anyone else obviously mm. there's tactics if people fall over but i was always a firm believer you should focus on your best performance and if you perform at your best then you're going to do well and if, you, if the judges don't agree with you do you just have to say well actually i believe my performance was good and i can look back at it and, and be happy because that's the subjective element i mean i've covered a lot of boxing and that's big in boxing is that you know, sometimes fights don't go the way that people think they are because the judges are, are, are subjective and they might have a different opinion of what they like. And that's actually an expression in boxing. It's what you like. So I suppose, do you, do you have to sort of, is that, does that temper your disappointment if the judges don't give you a high score? Yeah, I think definitely. But at the same time, if you know you've done everything you can, I don't know, you just, you just can't be angry at the judges. You're putting yourself in that position and mm. you know the the judging system it is scaled right so so you know where the top tricks lie and you know i i always found i knew you know like there were there's probably only one time when i was fighting for a world cup podium in the czech republic and i finished fourth mm. and it was like wow if you could have given me like a quarter of a point more I would have been on the podium that's frustrating but at the same time I think you have to look at the whole approach and really analyze what the other person did to understand it and in general I think they do a pretty good job so hats off to them yeah and slope style snowboarding is that, is that influenced I've read by skateboarding is that correct that the sip there's a sort of yeah, a, a cultural link yeah, definitely certain elements of it have transitioned over from skateboarding for sure. Some of the trick names are, are, are very similar. Um, but I think because of the rate of progression in snowboarding, you know, obviously a snowboard is bigger, you're attached to it, you can do bigger tricks. So yeah. I'd say definitely at the start, certain elements, but then now I, I'd say we're kind of leaping ahead, um, you know, quite, quite drastically in terms of, progression and, and creating new tricks and new names um you know since i've been doing it there's been a handful of tricks <laughs> that have 
being created a name from the YOLO flip, uh, which is some sort of crazy 1440 in the half pipe, oh. uh, to, you know, various triple corks, different <laughs> names for grabs. So, yeah, it's, it's forever uh, an evolving sport for sure. And, and actually, physically between the two sports, I skated a little bit as a kid, but it's very different, isn't it? I've only had, I've done one day of snowboarding in my life, but the actual physical movement is very different. It's uh, much more yeah. of a body, body movement snowboarding than, than just your legs, which feels like in skateboarding. Yeah, no, no, it, it really is. Uh, you almost use your feet like pedals mm. uh, in snowboarding, but you've, you've got to throw your body around a lot, whereas skateboarding, I always describe it as it's quite like tic-tac, tic-tac, very <laughs> fast beat kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, and we were encouraged to skateboard in the summer, but I always found I'd have a little dabble with it. But at the same time, it's like the last thing I want to do is roll and break my ankle a week before mm. the contest, you know? So, so again, it's a real fine line when it comes to injury management. You said that you've said a couple of times, fearless. Do you think that's one of the lessons? Is that a lesson that sport gave you or something that you realised as a young kid that helped you in, in snowboarding and probably in broadcasting now as well? How, what was the relationship like there? Because that's a big one, isn't it? And I think people are dealing with a lot of fear at the moment over the pandemic and the economy and things like that. And there's a sense of, I think if you can embrace sort of fearlessness, it's, it, it's quite liberating, isn't it? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think... For me, it was about respecting fear and learning to ride, um, you know, with, within a limit that I was comfortable, yet close enough to progression that I could move up through the ranks and have a successful career. So I think it's not about being completely fearless. Maybe mm. it's, it's more about respecting it. And um, I think definitely snowboarding has taught me the boundaries of fear. So when it comes to doing something in you know everyday life, whether it's doing a driving test or a motorbike test, uh, snow snowboarding's taught me not to be scared of things that you can repeat. There's certain opportunities in life which can be done again with no judgment. No one needs to know about it. Whereas when you're on the world stage competing, trying to qualify for a games, you know if you have a hiccup, it could change your life. Whereas I think there's certain things in life where, you know, it's like about building a healthy relationship with what truly matters and what doesn't. Mm. Yeah. And that, that, I think the concept of courage is quite interesting because when you look at the definition, it's to do something with fear rather than people, you mentioned fearlessness, people think it's that, but actually it's, it's learning to kind of cope with that emotion and not, not run away from it and, and embrace it. And I suppose you've had lots of micro failures in snowboarding, I guess, when there's been falls and, and problems with runs. That has that been sort of educational for you and and develop developmental of, of character? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, there's been, you know, many a slams and I think fear only heightens as you develop through your career <laughs> because you get more injuries but then you progress and that level of fear maybe gets pushed down slightly but you're forever progressing as an elite athlete so it's a constant battle essentially with that relationship but I think what I've taken from it now is it, it truly is like am I scared of this no it doesn't actually matter you know mm. um, I think it's taught me you know like to respect it yet 
essentially like learn how to do deal with it you know yeah no definitely and I suppose you must be connected to you someone that's very connected to nature as well by virtue of doing this for a living like say being in the mountains I mean you must I don't know recoil at the concept of, of sitting in a box in an office somewhere it must not be particularly appealing to you yeah I'm not gonna lie definitely the kind of office job really doesn't appeal and of course I've had days here and there for various things where yeah and I just feel a bit trapped I think um what I want to accomplish in life is like freedom and be able to set essentially my own schedule within within realms of you know everything I do um and I think snowboarding's kind of given me a taste of that and that's something I don't want to give up so it's about creating right and being Mm. creative with your approach to different projects and I suppose that's essentially what I'm doing now is taking the creativity from snowboarding um in, in into into my broadcasting into my my digital media um into everything I do and I'm I'm a firm believer like life really is what you make it and you can't just sit back and let it pass if you're hungry for something and you want it you've got to go and get it and you've got to put the steps in place to to make it possible so I'm a doer I would say (laughs) I think you are yeah that's fair to say I love I love that attitude and I think it's interesting what you what you people learn who are ensconced in nature and 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 how it can impact a lot of us because there's a lot of talk about a physical health type 2 diabetes obesity but also mental health people mental health crisis I keep hearing quite a lot and I've had people like you on the podcast I've had a guy called John Hudson who's the chief survival instructor for the British Armed Forces and he trains Americans and stuff like that as well and they get out and make shelters and things and he he talked about to me the biophilia hypothesis which is this actual that being in nature is fundamentally good for our physical health our mental health makes us feel better and people forget that sometimes don't they and I think maybe it's a strange thing to say because you'll know this instinctively but I think when people are indoors all the time and and staring at a screen and don't quite realize just how that can make them feel better yeah it's mad and I think noticing it more so now than ever because Mm. it's like right okay I need to get outside (laughs) it it just it it totally totally changes and rewrites your day and um I don't think it even matters necessarily when that period of time is but for me almost like the earlier in the day the better because then that sets me up mentally for the rest of the day um and I think you know movement is is the key to life um Mm. whether it's yoga whether it's running whether it's going for a walk it's just about finding that one thing that serves you and your body that that you like essentially I don't think there's any right or wrong in that but definitely you know on the days when the sun is out going for a little run <laughs> along the river there's there's no better feeling than than you know the sun on your skin and just the free movement of your body it's amazing it is amazing and you're and it's funny because you're in one of the bigger metropolises of the world in london but west london's beautiful as you say you've got the thames down there and, and some wonderful parks like richmond park around you it's a it's a lovely spot it's all you can always find some some greenery and i think um john hudson said that to me actually on the podcast that it, it can just be a, a tree-lined avenue that you can get that benefit from in a city it doesn't have to be the wilderness to, to get that benefit of, of nature so that's that's really 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 cool um so when it, when you look at it now in terms of um the broadcasting do you think there's there's aspects of that sort of fearlessness that you've taken in there because 
you want to make an impression, don't you, without being sort of uh, too explosive on screen, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, I think for me, I love the live side. I think it's really exciting and it kind of gives me that same feeling in, in the belly that you get when you when you're snowboarding you know anything mm. can happen when you're live on television especially when you're at an extreme sporting event um so yeah i think it's about finding like that happy medium right of not being like full-on um but just being yourself and i think the best broadcasters um they are themselves right yeah and how important for you to personally to sort of be fair in your assessment of, of people you would have competed against as well because I guess you've been on the other end of of judgment so do you sort of bear that in mind and when you, when you talk about because that's a tough job sometimes I think being a pundit and and breaking other people's performances down when you've been there yourself and and, and, and in the limelight yeah definitely um I mean I've done quite a bit of punditry I think um I really want to stay open and really diversify with that and presenting and more documentaries but yeah more recently because uh, of course it's winter a bit of punditry and I actually I find that probably the easiest because yeah. I'm talking about something I really know about mm. and I you know obviously I know a lot of the characters in the sport so I can add in a, a personal touch um, so for me I find that relatively easy and I get excited when I see you know progression evolving which you know we did recently um on Eurosport like the progression in the world championships is on another level um but yeah like you say I think it's about finding that firm balance of not siding with anyone and as I've you know gained more experience in the last three years um I, I think I'm, I'm finding a rhythm with that myself you know no, that's fantastic. And I think, yeah, it's great that you've made that transition. You've got so many things, so many plates spinning. What was your time like living in the States? You mentioned being out there. I lived in the States for a couple of years when I was in my early 20s at college out there and actually really enjoyed it. And I always and I coached some football out there in summers as well and, and loved the American sort of attitude, which if you said to them, I want to be a sports broadcaster, they're like, yeah, great. Whereas you said to an English person, they'd be like, well, maybe you should go and work in the city or do something sensible. It was uh, it was quite interesting, the, the cultural difference. Did you see that? Were they sort of very supportive of your, of your aspiration? Um, yeah, I suppose at the time, you know, that I knew I loved snowboarding, but I didn't know that it was possible. So I just... I used to say I wanted to be a weather woman or a PE teacher. Oh, cool! Because uh, I, I, I just I didn't think it was a possibility, right? It's it was a dream, but it was a very distant dream at that time. But I mean, America was class. I went to the British School of Washington. I used to cruise down 14th Street <laughs> <laughs> nice. with my hood up. I used to take the school bus. Um, like it was a vibe and it was a lifestyle, and I'm so grateful to have got to experience that and it definitely I think opened doors and 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 taught me about confidence and being able to speak to anyone because I was at school for three and a half years with kids from all over the world and it was a small school so at the time you know I, I was doing my GCSEs but we were hanging out with um, you know the year above because there were only like 15 of us in our year so that whole immersive experience of going to school in the capital city and driving past the Pentagon every day. And, wow. you know, my school was on the same street as the White House. If I finished school early and I wanted to walk down 16th Street, 
I'd end up at the White House. And that was just mad, you know. Um, it's a wild spot. You've got the Abraham Lincoln statue around there, haven't you, as well? It's a great tourist area around the, the oh, White House. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely rocking. And, um, yeah, I, we never took a minute of that for granted. And I just loved it. You know, we, we got a boat. We got this little bay liner, six-seater. And I learned to wakeboard there. And, all right, we didn't have the all-singing, all-dancing, 200K wakeboard boat. But it it just changed our lifestyle as a family and brought us so you know so much closer together yeah i went to a wedding in annapolis which is up that way was that where you did wakeboarding around that way in the or was that actually in dc uh, itself we used to just ditch the boat in the potomac river and then we'd <laughs> go out towards um yeah virginia like down down towards i think it was called like potomac Tomac Mills, me and my brother, obviously we were quite young, we used to call it Turtle Island because he'd always jump off the boat and try and catch turtles. So, um, yeah, it was class. And you were probably too young for this, but it was a party town part of Washington, D.C. It was Adams Morgan or something like that. I remember going on a oh, pub yeah, crawl yeah, around yeah. there, yeah. Adams Morgan, yeah, yeah. Rings a bell, rings yeah. a bell. Is that near Georgetown? Yes, yeah, good place to go. It's like literally, it's sort of like 30 bars in the space of, you know, a couple of hundred yards. So it's, it was a pretty cool place when you're like 22. It was, it was good fun. Um, I'll have to go back and, and yeah. take myself over there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely so. But how do people, just a quick thought as well, if people listen to this, either themselves or if they have kids, how do they get into snowboarding if they're in the UK or a part of the world where it's not, there's not much snow around a lot of the time? Because is it just, is it dry ski? You mentioned the dry ski slope in Bromley. Is that the key to, to getting into the sport? Um, because I always think some, some countries have it easy, don't they? If you're in the mountains in Italy, kids all seem to ski and stuff from the age of four or five. Yeah, I think definitely it's a great, place um to start the dry slope because essentially if you're three or four years old and you want to take your child into the mountain environment the first you know time they ski or snowboard they're not actually going to be skiing they're going to be waddling around mm. on a set of skis right so there's no better place than the dry slope to get acclimatized with the equipment more so than anything and understand the dynamics of actually what's involved in the sport so I'd highly, highly recommend going to a dry slope. Um, and then if you want to further progress, definitely the snow domes, like before the Olympics, myself and um, a really good friend of mine, Jamie Nichols, spent a lot of time at the indoors snow centre in Hemel Hempstead. And um, you really can progress. And that's where we're seeing, you know, the next generation of talent come through. Jamie Nichols himself is a dry slope rider. Um really one of the probably one of the best rail riders in the world and he learned you know indoors mm. or on the dry slope so the facilities are there we just don't necessarily have the biggest jumps but in terms of exploring freestyle it's it's there you know it's there to be played with um they've got quite a few youth groups and i know snow, snow sport england are putting in um you know lots of steps in place to make it more accessible yeah, there's a dry ski slope, uh, ski slope near me in Gloucester, actually, which is quite interesting in, in the west of England. I think, there's, as you say, there's more than we realise uh, around the country. It, it, should, should people ski as well? Is that, does that, is that complementary to snowboarding? Or is there a bit of a cultural divide between skiers and snowboarders? What's, what's, what do you say there? Um, I think that's like totally a myth. And mm. It actually really agitates me because some of my closest friends are skiers. Um, I'll never forget 
it was X Games 2014. I was with my Roxy teammate at the time, Dara Howell from Canada. Mm. She and I swapped equipment two weeks before the Olympics. I was skiing, she was snowboarding. Two weeks later, no joke, she's won an Olympic medal. (laughs) Really? Yeah, and I just it just shows you, you know, that like free spirited mentality. She's amazing. I love her. Uh, and then a really good friend of mine um, who recently became the, the fresh female host of Ski Sunday, Shemi Alcott. Um, mm. She's, you know, a pioneer and role model. And I love riding with her. Uh, I think it doesn't matter whether you're on two planks or one. <laughs> it's just about getting out there. There's a big crossover there between how it feels, like the actual skill itself. Yeah, definitely, like, elements of it, especially freestyle, but uh, the sort of dynamic of skiing is is really quite different, as I, I discovered recently, <laughs> actually, uh, when Shemi taught me to ski <laughs> properly, um, and, and, and it, it, is, it is quite different. So, yeah, respect to any skiers out there. Oh, brilliant. Well, so Amy, Amy, what's next then? What's next in the, the world of winter sports, when, the Winter Olympics? What, what's the, is everything yeah, on well, schedule for that? Next for me is actually the launch of my podcast this coming week. Oh, uh, brilliant. Super excited about it. It's, it's a visual audio concept called Monday Mile, where I meet uh, celebrities, Olympians, Olympic medalists who are excelling in their field. And essentially, we just go for a one-mile walk. And it's the motivational, inspiring conversation had over a mile, essentially decoding Monday. So it's going to drop every Monday, and it's going to be a fresh place for you to listen and start your week strong. So I'm really excited about that. First one's dropping with Vic Hope, Monday 22nd. And we've got a banger, banger lineup. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of, crank that and explore explore that because that's something different for me that's an awesome uh, that's then, awesome so that's like so that's you walking around what west london with a camera crew or, or camera operator well not no not even west london i meet uh, the guest at a location of their choice so um i was in east london with vic hope uh jenny falconer in central i walked her commute back with her from <laughs> uh, from smooth radio um so I won't give away too many of the other guests, but essentially I go and meet them at their chosen location. We walk and talk a mile and it's the audio is stripped from that into a podcast and the visuals are cut down uh, for a little bite-sized chunk of good vibes on social. Really cool. And does it go on YouTube as well? Is that the place to find a video? Uh, No, no, it's going to be across Instagram and TikTok um, and then just the audio on all the usual podcast platforms. So maybe you can give me a few tips on uh, how that works. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I actually sort of host mine on the audio side through a, a company called Anchor, but then that goes out then to iTunes, Spotify, and I think 10 or 12 uh, audio platforms. So it's, it does it automatically for you, which is which is pretty cool. I think because I still post a lot of stuff on my iPhone, I think it's there's a, there's a sort of, um, I guess, a bias towards iTunes and the Apple stuff. But I think Spotify is kind of increasing as well, particularly like people like Joe Rogan have gone over to Spotify. So they're sort of pushing the podcast element, I think. So that's probably a good a good place to be. But yeah, I need, I need to get a video arm to this. It's kind of 
I've got into podcasts just through listening to them in the car and when I'm traveling or when I'm cooking and things like that. So I've always loved the audio side of it. And I think it would be really cool to actually listen to your, I love that idea. It's almost like um, James Corden's Carpool Karaoke, but a different you different version what? of it. That's, without without even realizing, no joke, watching the first episode back ahead of it going out, I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> almost like that, but it works because we're not in a car and we're socially distanced. So, so that's, that's that's like the motivation behind it essentially is connecting with people through movement at a time when you know it's it's tricky meeting up with people and hey we're exercising we're walking yeah. so uh it feels yeah, it feels conversation i think it fuels conversation walking as well doesn't it because it gets your brain moving is there's something uplifting yeah. about that sort of move that sort exactly. of um, I'm, yeah. I'm just like done with the zoom life right so <laughs> no. movement it's uh yeah super excited about that and um, it's just going to be ace to speak to so many different people. As you know, it's, it's, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's a great format. I think if you're if someone that likes learning from people and just having fun and conversing, as you say, zoom, I'm, I've sort of turned to zoom the last year. I, I always swore I'd do podcast interviews purely in person, but there is a, a facility to it. You can speak to people that you couldn't speak to otherwise, particularly in other countries, yeah. but there is, exactly. um, there's nothing quite like that human. So hopefully in the future, we'll be able to have a chat face to face. Cause I think that would be great to, to do and, and get that get slightly give me, different energy give me a buzz when you're in sky and i'll, I'll pop yeah <laughs> walk walk around austerly it's not it's not quite as uh as well, you, can come as over, you can come over this way yeah definitely i can the walk down not too far i can walk down the a4 from from there straight into chiswick it's not far at all yeah it's only sort of probably 10 15 minute walk albeit on a well it's not it's not as heavy traffic the traffic's increasing at the moment but yeah, I'm right in, right in that neck of woods for, for my day job at Sky Sports, for sure. Well, Amy, look, I really appreciate your time. And to uh, the podcast, where can people get that? What's the name of the podcast? The podcast is Monday Mile, and it drops uh, Monday the 22nd of March. And uh, I'm, I'm claiming it. There's going to be an episode <laughs> dropping every Monday for the next 10 weeks. It's not speed walking, is it? You get a good 20 minutes out of this, do you? The, the, the mile? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's between uh, so it's, it is short. It's between eighteen to twenty five minutes, but it's you know there's diversions. It depends on what we see on route. It depends where the guests taking me as to how long it takes. Essentially, I love it. And Amy, your Instagram's a big one for you as well, isn't it? And you're on TikTok. You're part of the new wave. Part of that new that new young <laughs> generation. Apart from I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> well, you are by my standards. You are definitely. Are. <laughs> Brilliant, Amy, thank you. Hey, thank you. A fantastic Amy Fuller, really appreciate her time. Just pumped full of energy and infectious. And actually, her podcast, I just checked it out and I'll put a link to it on the bottom of uh, this podcast description for Sport and Life for this episode, where her podcast on Apple Podcasts and available pretty much on all good platforms as far as I know. But the Monday Mile with Amy Fuller should be fantastic. Vic Hope is her first guest on that as well and as youtube clips of it and on her twitter account you can see a little video clip as well of her and vic walking around east london i believe but amy fuller fantastic get her insight there concept of fear facing our fears living with fear big one isn't it as we enter 2021 post-pandemic world hopefully fingers crossed but obviously that health anxiety that fear over that will maybe sort of remain We'll retain that for a while, but there's also fears over the economy, getting back. We might have to change in our life, and change can inspire fear, can't it? We might have to try a new career, new job, look around, uh, new lifestyle, um, adapt our habits. And it's, uh, yeah, a very fearful time in some senses, but it's being appreciative of maybe kind of pushing through that and that courage 
is an ability to do things in the presence of fear, which I think is uh, significant. But thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to Amy for her time as well and look forward to listening to her Monday Mile podcast. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are um, specialists in home entertainment installation and providing solutions based around high quality customer service. Get in touch with B&O Cheltenham, Jason Briggs and his team celebrating, as I say, a year's sponsorship with the podcast, which has had a few uh, huge galvanizing effect for me. And uh, thank you as well to the relationship with Cytoplan. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, build upon a good bedrock, hopefully, of sleep and rest and exercise and diet, uh, then I would certainly recommend Cytoplan's food-based supplements. And if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, you can get a 30% initial purchase discount, 10% thereafter, I believe, is still the, the current arrangement. And you can get a discount with the code DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you could rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on to it, including it's on Spotify, by the way, as well, which is the uh, cool place to be. Now, Joe Rogan's uh, exclusively there, but I'm across uh, 12 platforms, all free, of course. Appreciate you listening to it. And if you would like to follow me on social media, it is Ed Draper 81 all one word, on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper81 on Instagram, on LinkedIn and places like that too, which I post links to the podcast often when they're relevant to employment and careers, which quite often they are when you're speaking to sports people and sort of nuggets. And that's what the podcast was about, nuggets of, of the sporting world that can inspire and inform other parts of our life. And hopefully those conversations have been useful to you. But yeah, appreciate your support, guys. Thank you very much. Have a very good weekend. Good week, not weekend yet, is it? <laughs> Just tra- trailed off there. It sounded like weekend, but I meant to say week. But I appreciate you being here and goodbye for now.